everyone, I'm DJ Matt Bain from the Sneakers app, and I'm going to go one-on-one -on -one with the Don Drew. Yo, we reached 18 episodes of the one-on-one -on -one podcast. I'm Don Drew, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Don Drew. The COVID lockdown created some unprecedented times and unique challenges. So I set out in this episode to unpack the experience of being quarantined with kids. I grabbed DJ Matt Bain from the Sneakers app. No, not the one dishing L's every release, but the one that focuses on networking and connecting people that share a common passion and kicks. The funny thing is, I had no idea this app existed when I booked Matt. Anyway, join Matt and I one-on-one -on -one for that sneaker talk with the app and more, plus what we set out to do originally, and that's sharing some real life locked up with these kids. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the one-on-one -on -one podcast. I'm Don Drew, and I'm here with my guest, DJ Matt Bain. Matt, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here because uh, I love your show, man. Oh, I appreciate that. One thing that I wanted to do with the COVID and um, and everything over the last four or five months is kind of have some fun with uh, the, the the kids. And I got two and you got three, right? Yeah. And I just thought it would be fun to kind of share some, some kids in quarantine. Yeah, stuff. I mean, we definitely got stories, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, so so minor. I have a four-year-old girl and a ten-year-old boy, and you got three. How old? Yeah, so I have I have three. One is uh, just turned twenty. Uh, I also have a thirteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old. So uh, twenty, yeah. huh? Yeah. Now do they yeah. all live with you, Matt? Well, now they do. Uh, my daughter normally is away at college, but college is uh, stopped, right? So uh, she came home for like spring break and just hasn't gone back to school. Um, I think she, I think school is going to happen where, where she's going, uh, and they still are planning to move back. So she'll be here for another few weeks. So for me, it was definitely like a crazy couple of months. Yeah. So, you know, we have, uh, in our house, both, you know, both parents work full time and the little one, Ashley, she's four. She goes to like a home daycare. And Anthony's 10, he's in fourth grade, he goes to school. So the big thing was school closing, daycare closing, what are we going to do with the kids? Now, yours a little older, so. Yeah, I'm a little, mine are a little older, and my wife doesn't work. So uh, the, the one good thing is that, you know, there's a parent home all the time. So for her, it, it wasn't that huge of a transition. Uh, but I can't even imagine what you guys went through. You know, having two, two working parents, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, so the fear for me in the beginning was, and I'm sure a lot of parents had the same fear, like, what am I going to do with my kids? Right. You know, we can't bring them to daycare, we can't bring them to school, and we got to work. So that kind of all solved itself when the economy shut down and the world shut down. And, and she was still working, and I was home for the first couple of months. And, and at first it was like, really great because it's you get to spend all this time with your kids and you're home 24 7 and when you work a lot you know you still take the time to enjoy those moments with your kids but you miss stuff every working parent misses stuff you know yeah i, I mean so before this happened i traveled uh about 60 percent of my time I, I was spent traveling uh and so since 
February, I haven't traveled anywhere. And it's been the longest time I haven't gotten on a plane in like 15 years. Um, and wow. so, you know, the whole time my kids were young was spent me traveling at least 50% of the time I was gone. Uh, so for me, this has been fantastic because I, I get to see my kids every day. It's, it's been awesome, actually. Yeah. Well, mine jumped off with maybe a week or two into the quarantine, the little one jumping on the bed. It was like, wouldn't go to sleep. So that was the first thing that happened was when, when everything shut down and she stopped, the routine stopped, you know, the kids, they, they're very routine oriented. So you take them to daycare, you take them to school, you get them up at a certain time in the morning, breakfast, get dressed, get showered, get ready. Everything is structured. And when the structure breaks down and the routines break down, everything crumbles. So, the little one decides that bedtime doesn't exist anymore. She is four years old and she decided like this bedtime is over. I'm not going to bed. I'm just going to be up. And that was like a little bit of a rude awakening because she was so good at going to bed. It would be like 8, 30, 9 o'clock every night. All right, Ash, let's go to bed and boom. But now once the quarantine a week or two into it, she just rejected that. So now it's like 11.30, she's jumping on the bed. But does, does she wake up at the same time? or does she uh, Sometimes, inconsistent. Sometimes she's yeah. up at 7 o'clock. Sometimes she sleeps till 9, 9.30. But See, my issue is my boys, they cannot get up to go to school. I mean, every day to go to school. That's the teenage long. years where they're going to sleep. My 10-year-old's yeah, starting to get no, there. No, now they're like up at 7 every morning just ready to go. And I'm like, where are you the rest of the school year? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> well, this one's jumping on the bed, falls, busts her face, oh. right? Knocks her front tooth back. So now it's 1130, 12 o'clock at night, and we're scrambling to find a dentist oh. to do something, emergency dental work or something, at 1130, 12 o'clock at night in, in, a, in, a, in a pandemic. <laughs> and all dental offices are closed. Finally, we find a, a teledentist to do a Zoom call at, at like after midnight. And we're like trying to like pull her face open so she could see in her mouth. Eventually, long story short, they pull the tooth and she's got a hole in her face. And it's a baby tooth, so it's not that serious. She didn't have any other damage. Right. But I mean, that's how the quarantine started for me. With just. Oh, my God. So how's she doing now, though? Is she's she fine. I mean, she's fine. She's yeah. fine. We've had, we've had two injuries. We had that one and Anthony, my son, broke his hand in a garage door encounter. Compound fracture. This was uh, early June. Compound fracture, bone through the skin, surgery, and the, and the whole nine. So we've had some injuries. Yeah, you know, during this, the injuries to my kids are the scariest part. Right? That's the scariest part. Because you yeah, can't go to a doctor. You're afraid to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, and, but and uh, if, they, if they get admitted for something, you might not be able to get to go see them. I know. I mean, that, that's the thing that we're dealing with here is, you know, when kids are going in to the emergency room, one parent goes in. So, you, you know, I couldn't do, I couldn't stand that. <laughs> yeah. It, I went with Ant when he had his surgery on his hand. Luckily, by the time that that happened here in Jersey, the the peak of of the covid was on the decline. So it wasn't as harrowing as it was in the beginning when Ashley got hurt. 
Um, but that 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 was that was really the the crazy thing for me with the injuries with the kids. What what about the teenagers, man? What what are you seeing from them? Like, how are they adjusting or reacting? Probably tough not being able to hang out with their friends and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it like my two boys, they're they're a year apart. They're like a year and a half apart, um, but they're one grade apart, and um, you know, they're they're complete opposites. So one of them is like this is the best thing that's ever happened to him. He would do homeschool at the drop of a hat. Just he loves being at home. Uh, my other one is like he just can't wait to get back to being with his friends. Uh, but honestly, they've been rolling with it and they, they've dealt with a lot. I mean, every kid now, their whole lives changed upside down, which, you know, for, for adults, it's been difficult, but for kids, it's been super difficult too. Um, and I'm just happy they're, they're dealing with it. You know, the biggest problem has been school and, and what's going to happen with their education in this next year. What do you think of the, the virtual school? So that's funny that you asked. So I think it's the way it's implemented is horrible. And, you know, I, this is kind of stuff that I geek out on because professionally what I do is I actually help people with, with doing kind of more immersive video. So, and at the moment I'm helping schools like better their education through, through doing virtual learning, but most schools aren't set up to do it. So our kids end up not really getting a fantastic education, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Ant was done with, Ant was done with virtual school by like 10, 30, 11 o'clock every day. Yeah, it was like an hour and my kids were done. Totally. I know. And he's playing video games at like 1130. And I'm like, dude, don't you get school? And he's like, I'm done. I did everything. Yeah. And the other thing, though, is that it's not it's not even the same. So like teachers are just putting assignments up on a Web page and you just are supposed to go do it. That's not actually teaching. No, that's not. That's not. <laughs> no, I think, you know, and I think it fell to, to us as parents to like come up with activities and, but we're not teachers, you know, right, we'll, right. I mean, not all of us, I'm sure, right. you know, there's a lot of teachers out there, you know, but we're not teachers. So we don't know how to build a curriculum and, you know, go through a lesson plan. It's, 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 it's not easy to just teach, you know, you can teach somebody something when there's a roadmap. If Ant comes home with division, hey, dad, how do I do this? Or if he has a question about something in his homework, I can help him with that. But I, I don't build lesson plans. Right. And that's where I was kind of like, man, what are we doing with it? There was no – I didn't. they weren't thoughtful enough, I don't think. Yeah, you know, and you, they were in a hard spot. I can't, you know, you can't fault anybody. This was like an emergency situation that nobody was prepared for. It's a shame that we weren't prepared for it. And we definitely, you know, should have been. But I think, uh, I think they're even still struggling with what's going to happen this next school year that's supposed to start in, you know, a month. So totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that <laughs> we've done nearly what we need to do to prepare for not going back to school for kids. Cause uh, you know, all I know is that there's there's enough uneducated Americans right now that I want to make sure that we are educating properly our kids. We had a Zoom birthday party for the little one back in May, which was interesting. How'd that go? <laughs> I mean, it went as well as it could go. It, the challenge is explaining to a four-year-old why nobody's coming over for your birthday. Right. But, you know, you just lay it out honestly. I'm, I'm a big believer in transparency. 
And I like telling my kids stuff, you know, everybody takes a different tact when they have their kids, whether it comes to what's going on in the world or a death in the family or anything that's going on, you know, you know, some people handle it differently. And I'm just a very like, let's talk about what it is, honestly, you know, and even though she might not be quite old enough to really grasp it, you know, I'm going to do my best to let her figure it out. And she had fun with it. We made a cake and decorated the house and tried to make it as normal as possible. But yeah, it was, you know, tough, I think. Yeah. So were there other kids that came? Like did, did other kids join? Yeah. So what we did was we did a Zoom call. Yeah. Right. And so I didn't have like 50 people or 30 people on the Zoom at once and it get like chaotic. I gave everybody a, a, a time, like a okay. time slot. So what we did was her like babysitter and all the kids from her little daycare, they had like a half hour, 45 minute block. And then, you know, like uh, the cousins on one end and, you know, like everybody who we would, we tried to group everybody together. And then at the end, we had everybody dial back in together. So everybody was on to sing happy birthday, blow out candles and all that. Oh, that's cool. Again, we tried to do the best we can. And I think one of the things that I found from this is, is just finding a way, you yeah. know, finding a way to do things differently was a challenge and, and kind of interesting for us, you know, as parents. You know, but with, with birthday parties though, you, as long as there's presents, kids going to be happy no matter what. <laughs> yeah. You know, some people did like drive-bys. I saw them in the neighborhood. Some of Anthony's friends had them where everybody would pile into different yeah, cars yeah. and they honked the horn, popping out of sunroof signs. And, you know, I thought the creativity was interesting as well. But, it, you know, it, it did get to a point where it was like 24-7 kids, you know when you're home, it, it, it was a little, especially for me with young ones, I don't know how much the teenagers, you know, maybe it was different. You know, what was, what was that like? You know, it was, uh, it was just, honestly, it was good time with my family. Uh, and you know, there's, there's a, a whole lot of bad stuff that was going on as well. I mean, I don't want to minimize that, but there's, uh, you know, for my particular kids, they enjoyed being at home more. Um, and they, enjoyed having my wife teach them and going through lessons at home. So, um, and we have kind of a close knit community that, uh, that's, it, it was easy for them to, I think, you know, especially like playing Fortnite where they can still play with their friends. They feel like they're still connected with them. Um, you know, I think the transition has been pretty easy. The biggest thing, I guess that they notice that they tell me all the time is why don't we go out to eat as much anymore? Um, you know, so, why don't we go out to eat at all (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh what about the what about the older one what about the daughter 20 years old i mean was there is there like i don't want to get all into her personal stuff but is there like a boyfriend that was out you know out of pocket and yeah so the crazy thing is is you know we live we live right outside of chicago and that's uh it's an hour and a half to the wisconsin border Uh, my daughter goes to school in wisconsin and so her boyfriend lives there. Well, now they just announced that they're going to quarantine anybody coming in from Wisconsin. And if you know the Chicago area, Chicago and Wisconsin are like super linked. I mean, people go back and forth every day. Very close. Yeah. I was actually in Chicago 
the last week of March before everything got shut down, I was working out there. And, um, and, and it's funny you say that because I was in Northwest Chicago. So I was up by that Wisconsin border. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, about an hour and a half from O'Hare and as everything started to kind of snowball, I was supposed to have a Friday flight home and I kind of got a little bit of heebie-jeebies. And I was like, you know what? I got to get out of here. And I flew home a little early. And uh, I think I flew home on Wednesday instead of Friday. And then Thursday, um, it really started to escalate. And then Friday, we shut everything, you know, everything shut down. And I felt really, I was worried the airport was going to get closed. At that point, you know, you didn't know everything, you know, every day something different was happening. And yeah. it was such an unknown quantity quantification so i actually when this this my last trip that i was supposed to go on for work uh i was i was scheduled to go to japan and i went to the airport and i like i told you i've traveled my my whole kind of adult life i've traveled and you know whether it was terrorist acts whether there was safety concerns i've never really been afraid to go anywhere um, and I got to the airport and I told my driver to turn around and I went back home and this was before we shut down. It's right when things got bad in Japan. Um, but it hadn't even really hit us. And I told my wife, like, I just got this weird feeling that I shouldn't go. And I've never canceled a trip like that before in my life. And I did. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this, this is different than I've ever experienced as a traveler. The, the worst thing I can imagine would be stuck sick in another country that's exactly right that just sounds so horrible it sounds like an absolute nightmare <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't blame you you know we were you know the whole world is just a different place but i think the positive is at least this happened for the kids at a time where technology enabled them to be connected Man, so, like, on. Yeah. so like what you said where the kids could play Fortnite or whatever the video game is, you know, you could hop on your PS4, or your Xbox, or your Switch or whatever you got, and you're digitally connected. You got your headphones on, you're talking to your friends, and you're still kind of interacting with them. You're still engaged. You're still connected to them. And then for the littler ones, you got the Zoom and the FaceTime. If this would have happened 20 years ago, it would have been much more difficult because now you're picking up a phone with a cord. You're paying a long distance bill. Right. You know, there's none of that anymore. Time, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> no, I mean, no, in, in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, there was yeah. none of that. So I think from that standpoint, you know, it happened at a time where we could still be connected to people. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, from, from being a, a technology guy, th this is actually going to be really good for innovation because it's forcing people to do new things. It's forcing people to interact in different ways. Um, so I think there, there's going to be some good byproducts of, of having this kind of issue to deal with. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, the communication aspect, I think, is one of the coolest ones out of it. One of the things that I've noticed is you know, in the beginning of all this, it was really stressed, like the people that were high risk. So if you have some sort of affliction or, or you're a diabetic or you're immune deficient, 
or you're elderly, right? They really stressed that and made it seem like the implications to young folks were minimal. So having older kids, did you get that where you kind of had to rein them in because maybe they were a little loose? Like you see the stuff with the Lake of the Ozarks with the partying and in spring break in Florida, right? You see all these different things going on where seemingly young people are maybe a little careless and a little like throwing caution to the wind. Yeah, definitely. You having a 20-year-old and a couple of teenagers – did you have to rein them in or did your kids do a good job of pretty much taking it seriously and understanding from jump? Yeah. I mean, my kids definitely, I'm lucky. They took it seriously. They, I, I don't ever have to kind of worry about any of them. Uh, but when I look around and I look at their friends and, and kind of everybody else in our community that are their age, I mean, especially my daughter who's, who's 20, I can tell that the people that are in her age and her class around in the, in the area, they really don't take it seriously. I mean, it's not, it's not of concern. Um, and that concerns me. Uh, you know, we also are dealing with my mother-in-law who's in uh, a nursing home who we haven't been able to physically see since this all started. So, and that's scary because nursing homes were like, like Petri dishes for the virus. They were spreading like wildfire. So it's, it's good that she was able well, to I mean, kind of- In her facility alone, there was over 60 cases. So it's like- it's amazing that she didn't and she didn't get it yeah it's it's pretty incredible that she didn't um, lucky yeah but i mean still that you know even if you aren't personally at risk i mean i'm i don't feel personally at risk i don't feel that risk myself but i know that all of my loved ones have some form of risk and when something happens like my mother-in-law being in a nursing home i can't actually go see them so i mean it disrupts your life in, in one way or another. So uh, luckily everyone in my house has taken it seriously, but I could tell in the community, I mean, my, my town actually sued our governor for not allowing our baseball season for Little League Baseball, which is incredible. Uh, oh my it, God. Yeah, so they sued and now, you know, and for the last few months, our town has basically been saying, it's not bad, we shouldn't have restrictions. Just yesterday, they kind of took all of that away and are like, wait a second, it's going back up. We're going to take it seriously now. Um, where, you know, if they had done that in the first place, we might not be here. But, you know, here we are. Everybody that didn't take it seriously is all of a sudden starting to feel the effects of, you know, this can have a big effect on everyone. So the one thing that I noticed was it was particularly tough on the grandparents. Yeah. You know, keeping grandparents away from kids, man, that's – that's that's not easy and i think i got to one point maybe i don't know a month or two into the quarantine you know now like my mom and dad have come over we've kind of opened it up a little bit just people we know that are taking it seriously we've interacted but there hasn't been a whole lot of you know not with like the ex the the external folks just kind of our immediate family but my dad, I thought he was going to jump off a bridge at one point. I want to see my grandkids screaming and yelling. It was really tough on them. I can only imagine in a nursing home, you know. You know, grandparents, man, they, they really fuel from the energy of their kids. You know, that really drives them, the grandkids, I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's insane. So, 
So let's say COVID ends tomorrow. Everything's good. Is there something you're looking forward to doing? Like, is there something that you haven't been able to do that you really? I'd like to go on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were going to take my mom to Italy um, earlier in the year. We were going to go in April. And, um, you know, in, in the middle of January, it started to Italy hit before we hit. And so we would just scrapped it. You know, we we're like, we're not going. Uh, yeah. I mean, we haven't gone on vacation. We haven't done anything. Yeah. You know, we've been locked in the house. I mean, shoot, I haven't even gone back to work. So, um, which I'm not mad at. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would be, I would, that would probably be it. I'd, I'd want to get back on a plane and go somewhere and travel. So, do you, do you think your work's going to change, though? I mean, do you think, you think going forward, things I don't know. Be- I'm going back next Thursday. I'll let you know. I, I don't know. You know, I'm in the sneaker industry. We'll talk a little bit about that because I know you got the sneakers app and, and I wanted to learn about that. But, you know, I'm in the sneaker industry and a lot of my business is face-to-face. We're doing more direct-to-consumer, you know, and the brands are doing more direct-to-consumer. So, um, there's some of that. I mean, we're going to have to evolve to some curbside and stuff where we weren't, wouldn't really have that infrastructure. But, um, you know, one thing, since we're talking shop a little bit, the one thing I've noticed is companies, retailers, or customer-facing businesses – have used the COVID as an excuse to cut back staff and provide shitty service. <laughs> I've noticed that. So it's like now if you call Comcast or Cablevision or Verizon or, or you have a problem with your couch and you call the furniture store, you're on hold for an hour. They cut back all those call center people, anybody who's customer facing, they cut back. And now it's like, okay, well, please uh, allow, even the banks, please allow for a longer hold time right? because of COVID. And I'm like, wait a minute. So the consumer is really losing because, you know, they can't shop the way they used to, right? There's all kinds of restrictions. You're running around with a mask, which is uncomfortable, but you got to wear the mask, right? And now in addition to that, all the basic courtesies and service protocols are gone. And the customers are treated like shit. And what's happening is the backlash from the customers now to the worker. So we're seeing, and I'm seeing it in all levels of retail, the customers have anxiety. They have angst. And they are being more aggressive and hostile to the workers. So now the workers, and it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a snowball effect. The workers are working harder for the same pay because there's less of them, right? And they're not able to because they're spread thin. They're not able to provide the customer with the level of service that the customer needs and expects. And the customer is responding with hostility, right? So now the worker who's risking their life and their health to come to work and service the customer is now dealing with a hostile customer. It's a pretty fucked up situation. <laughs> yeah, it really is, man. It's it's interesting to see how companies have dealt with with this, and I've definitely seen that kind of using it as using it as an excuse to to cut costs, especially human costs. Um, and you know, I hope that people remember that when we come out and, and choose to spend their money uh, wisely. I know it's it's definitely. I, I'm interested to see how it's going to be 
you know, I really haven't gone anywhere. So I feel sheltered. I feel like a little disconnected other than the few interactions and some of my own observations as a, just as a student of business and economics, you know? Well, and plus, you know, you're, you're, every area is different, right? So what you guys are going through in New Jersey is different than what they're going through in Florida. I mean, just, it's amazing how different some of yeah. these, uh, these problems can be localized, you know? What, you're in Chicago. What's, what's that like? Um, you know, it's, it's strange. I'm sure it's like most other, you know, large cities where you get outside the large city and, and you're in places that try and rebel against the large city. Uh, so, you know, where I live, it's, you know, trying to reject all the things that Chicago is trying to do in terms of closing things down and, and being pretty strict. Um, but, you know, I've seen that there's a lot of, there's a lot of businesses that took it seriously early on and they seem to be doing better. And the ones that didn't take it seriously are the ones that are struggling right now and are doing those kind of drastic cost cutting measures because they didn't really adjust at the beginning. So now it's just, you know, we got to get rid of people. Um, I see the same thing with people, you know, it's almost like being, if you go outside, if I take my car down the street, people that are outside are somewhat making a statement by being outside. So they're, they're, they're kind of, fighting for something, you know, we, they had this perfect storm of protests going on, uh, which our city had a ton of, um, and then COVID. So it's just been this crazy time. I mean, all these things clashed right at the same time. So it's just like a tinderbox, man. And Chicago is, is one of those cities that it <laughs> can happen in at any time. One of the, the most fierce debates that I end up getting embroiled in on social media is the Chicago pizza debate. <laughs> I am, I, I am, listen, I went many times to Chicago, especially recently in the last eight months before the shutdown. I was there several times. I have given an open mind to Chicago pizza and I am not a fan. Like I think Pequod's is atrocious. So, all right, so I have Talk to stop to you there, and I have to give you a disclaimer. So, I'm originally from California. I have lived in Chicago for the last 10 years, so I am a transplant to the city of Chicago. Fine, so that makes you objective, not loyal to Chicago. That's right. So, there are a few things I am loyal to in Chicago. Italian beef sandwiches, I am all for. Hot dogs, I am all for. I cannot get with the pizza. So, deep dish... No, there are plenty of really good spots to get thin crust and South side thin crust is another, a whole nother style of pizza than what most people know of Chicago deep dish. So uh, you're saying that thin crust South side Chicago pizza is much better than the deep dish. Oh yeah. Miles. Yes. I can't, I, I've ordered deep dish in the last 10 years, maybe twice. And it was both times because there were people from out of town that wanted to try it. Uh, so most people that I know actually don't buy deep dish when they're here. Uh, most, okay. most residents here that I know that eat pizza are all about thin crust. So now I haven't had the, that Chicago, the Italian beef. I've heard it's fantastic. Yeah. But what I have had that is absolutely hidden is the Harold's chicken. Oh yeah. <laughs> Harold's chicken. So for those listening that have not been to Chicago that don't know, it's a, it's a fried chicken 
I do think they do wings, legs, thighs, deep fried, and you put the they put the mild sauce on it, serve it over French fries and bread, and it's just I can't even really do it justice describing how good it is. Yeah, I mean that those are the few things where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what this is what Chicago's about with food. That I'm with you though on the deep dish. I would way rather have a New York slice. Uh, although okay. there is, I'll, I'll give you a little hint because I, not many people know St. Louis has their own style of pizza and it is incredible as well. So you're a traveler, been all over. What's your, what do you, give me your, your top food city. Oh, um, so I, there's two, uh, oh. first one, New York, uh, okay. has, has so much. And then the second one, San Francisco. And that's probably, you know, where I'm most familiar with. Um, but, yeah. I would say the same thing. I would say New York and San Francisco are one and one A also. Yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, but New York, I, I love New York. There's, there's so much good food there. It's definitely – the, the one thing nice about New York is you can literally get anything you want at any time, 24-7. You right. can find something, which is a little different than a lot of places. Yeah, but I mean, hey, uh, Chicago steakhouses. I'm I'm good with having beef from Chicago. Uh, any type of sausage here, love it. There's, I mean, there's there's great dining here. Don't get me wrong. There's really great Mexican food here. Um, it's it's a good city for for dining. But there's something really unique about San Francisco, and then there's just the plethora of New York. There, gotcha. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the sneakers out. I, I'm not familiar with. Yeah. So when you say the sneakers app, you're not talking about the Nike sneakers, S-N-K-R-S. No. You have your own sneakers app spelled S-N-E-A-K-E-R-S. Yeah, which, which just so you know, came out a few years before the Nike sneakers app. Uh, so I, I, and I'm not familiar, excuse me for that, I'm not, I, didn't have, I had you on for the kids, but I'm interested in the sneakers app. I'm not familiar with it. Give me a, give me a little. Yeah, yeah, so I, you know, I. I help out with the sneakers app with a few things. One of them's content creation. The other one's marketing for them. Uh, the, the app's been around since 2013. What the, the main premise behind it is it is a social community. So it is a user generated content. Um, so it's, it's, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the old Nike talk days where it was yeah. you know, kind of a message board style of conversations, relationships, you know, people getting to know each other, people dealing with each other on a daily basis. Um, that's, that's, it's a social network for people that are into sneakers. Uh, so that's, so, so how, how many users does it have? Uh, millions. And you know, there's millions of downloads. Uh, there's millions of, of unique visitors every month. So it, it actually has a pretty large following. Uh, it is, you know, around the world, there's users from all over. Uh, but it's, it's something that I think is, is about to, uh, about to get bigger. How did I miss this? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, it was, there's a few, I think people that started to claim it as their own in terms of the user base. So the user base got somewhat exclusive, I would say, and it got kind of, uh, locked down and who was engaging in the, in the app for a while. Um, and then, you know, I think as, when we started in 2013, the sneaker kind of community was in a whole lot different spot than it is right now. Oh yeah. Um, and I think through those changes, it took a while to, to really adapt with them, to be honest. And I think that, uh, that now it's kind of, 
getting some refocus on, on where it's going. Why would a user choose that app over a Twitter or Facebook or one of your just standard social media platforms? Well, so the first thing is that it's, it's focused, right? So, uh, you know, I, I also follow people on Twitter. It's something that I use all the time. You know, that's how I connected with you in the first place is through Twitter. So sure. uh, there are Twitter in, in, in how I use it and people can use it in all different ways. Um, is not as personal as the sneakers app. So the sneakers app, I think, really takes it a step further into kind of uh, almost professional relationship building. I don't know if you've seen, you know, where you use LinkedIn for kind of your professional contacts. Yeah, of course. That's what sneakers app kind of is for for sneaker related things. Where in Twitter, you're going to get, you know, political, you're going to get, you're going to talk about a whole range of subjects um, that honestly can be divisive a lot of times. In the sneakers app, it is solely focused on, you know, talking about releases, showing people pictures. It's, it's more kind of a, a celebration of the sneaker community and what people like about sneakers. And we kind of put a stop to anything else, anything other than that. So it's a more focused experience. So when you say put a stop to it, so there's, there's, there, there's rules to the wall. I mean, there, you know, one thing it, you don't, so there's many features in the app. One of the most popular ones is the chat wall. Uh, in the chat wall, you cannot sell things. So it's not a selling marketplace. Um, you know, it's not a place to do trades. It's a place to really kind of share knowledge and opinions and, you know, kind of the love of sneakers. Um, so we have rules like, you know, you can't, you can't be like racist against people. You can't use profanity against people. You can't, you know, use slurs. I mean, there are, there are, it's a moderated experience to make sure that it's a healthy community. Um, you know, it's not that that stuff's ever a problem. So the nice thing is we implemented that super early on. And now that's not something that actually has to be dealt with on a daily basis. It, it's a, it's a really respectful community that's been built. And is there a marketplace where people do go and sell stuff or trade? No. Or, no. no so there's none of that. No. Um, so let me ask this question then. If you have a, a platform where you have millions of enthusiasts all interested in the same thing, why wouldn't there be a segment of it or a section of it where people can go and engage in those kinds of, of, of activities? So, you know, there was for a while. And what we quickly found out, I mean, the sneakers app isn't a huge team. Creating an application and, administering it and, and running an application and keeping it fresh is not a, it's not a small task, right? I mean, that, that's a big job. And I think once we kind of dabbled in doing a marketplace and saw, you know, marketplaces that were being adopted quickly, you have to step back and say, what can we do well? And what should we be spending our time on? Should we be trying to be the next marketplace or should we be kind of following our niche and doing something that's, that's somewhat unique? And I think that's kind of what we chose to do. Um, you know, when you have players like StockX and like Goat that really have that kind of retail, that e-commerce experience nailed really well, um, you know, what would our value add be there? And so that's kind of the things that we look at is, is where, where are we unique and let's double down on what we're unique on. So what, what, what is the goal of the app? Where does it want to go? So, you know, the founder, 
has that vision uh, of where he wants to go and it might be different than mine where I where I want to assist the sneakers app to go and, and where I think it is going is just having a much more uh, engaged user base that you know we've seen the sneaker community and you know I say a community a lot of people don't like to say it's a community uh, people don't like to say that it's got a culture uh, you know there's yeah a, right? I, I, I'm, I'm in that camp yeah and and there's but you're in that camp because you saw it a different way at one time right so did you ever feel a culture of sneakers uh i you know i think as over my years decades in 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 the in in the game um i think there was a brief moment there where i thought it could be but when I got a chance to look back at it, no, I, I think it's impossible to have a community or a culture. Well, everything is a culture. So it is a culture. It's just a cesspool of a culture. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? It's not, it's not a healthy culture. That's exactly the culture right. is cannibalistic. The sneaker culture is cannibalistic where everybody's trying to eat each other. And, and so, nah, there, to me, there's no community. It's a commodity. And everyone's out for themselves to use that commodity to enrich themselves, which, by the way, that's okay. But that's what it is to me. Well, and so I think that's an interesting point. And I can kind of use cars as an example, right? So there are people, there is a car culture, right? There's people that are into Mustangs or they're into, you know, Porsches and that's their thing and they have their own culture and when they are discussing their culture they're not also inviting the car manufacturer the car reseller the car salesperson into that same conversation right now what we have in, in sneakers is you know people that are reselling that's that it's a business it's not necessarily a hobby or a passion uh, but it's it's an income right uh, there are people that are just using it for likes. There are people that are not invested in it. So we have a whole bunch of different types of people coming at it from different angles that are all mixed into one. That's kind of what the sneakers app was really designed for is people that actually just like sneakers and that are into talking about sneakers and are into the history and the facts. Uh, that's the platform where that can happen. Uh, because like you said, it's accessible. If I go on a Twitter, half the, half the people that I follow about sneakers I mean, most of it isn't sneakers related or it's not culturally significant, you know? Um, so I think there are elements of culture in sneakers. And I think there always have been and there always probably will be along with any other fashion accessory that I think there could be. But I think right now where we're at in this history and time where things just went digital, people are making a lot of money. It's muddy waters right now. So I think that, you know, I have hope. Uh, and I think that there are people that consider it, you know, a hobby, which, you know, how I started out, it's a hobby. Interesting. Um, okay. I'm going to have to check it out because I'm, I'm, I'm learning about it. I'm going to have to check it out and see what the deal is there. Yeah, yeah, so, so you're not a found, you didn't found the app. No, no, I just help the app I, and I, I do a, a video series for them. I do a bunch of content creation for them. So there um, is content on the app as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so one of the most popular things that we've 
done in the app over the years is just about to be refreshed with a video series. So uh, we, we used to do a thing called sneaker battles. Uh, a sneaker battle was when, you know, two opponents would post pictures. Um, they would then kind of, we'd put those pictures up on the wall. We'd have a, a referee and basically we'd get votes and whoever voted, you know, whoever got the most votes won. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of that since the quarantine. A lot yeah. of YouTube guys have been doing sneaker battles. Some of the brands um, and the retailers have kind of done that to engage with customers. Yeah, so I mean, the, that's a, an app, uh, a feature in the app that we've had for a long time. Now we're launching a, a video series and interviewing guest judges to, to make that decision of who wins the battle and really just start a conversation about, you know, it, it, it's funny because we call it a sneaker battle and we're going to have a judge decide on what's better and what's worse and i know it's so subjective i was just gonna say like i was just thinking and you know it's funny because i saw them like i saw one of the retailers did one on instagram and uh one of the kids i know from from the hobby um kid from baltimore i'll give him a little plug shouts to mr shoe um he's got a pretty deep collection and he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have all new hype stuff but the kid he went up against in the battle is putting up all these like newer Jordan ones, and the 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 audience on the social network on Instagram they're voting left or right, you know, and everybody's voting for the is a complete recency bias, and everybody's voting for the newest stuff. And here I am thinking like, man, this kid's showing some heat, and he's getting no votes. So I think that that was one of the things I thought kind of frustrated me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like if you're ever, if, yeah, if you have a younger judge, you know, somebody like me, who's, who's a little bit older, if, if somebody pulls out an alpha project flight posit from 1999, I'm going to think that that's something. Right. But if somebody pulls out a, a, a Jordan one, I don't, I don't even know. There's so many of them at this point. You know, like a satin women's Jordan 1, you know, that was pretty hot and resale value yeah. is super high. Most people will think that's the hotter commodity. Yeah, so... That, to me, like, ruins the battle. Yeah, so, and you're spot on. It's subjective, right? There, there can't... There's not a better shoe or a worse shoe. Uh, it's, it's totally subjective. So, the way that we're structuring it is we have a guest judge that's actually... We're not allowing the audience to vote at all. It's the judge that's making the call. And the right, funny but- thing... The funny the thing about that, though, it, we're doing that because it kind of gives you some insight into that person. And so we're asking, you know, why? Why would you pick this shoe over that one? And normally there's some kind of a story or a background or some glimpse of, of you know, what they are personally into. And so each week we're going to have a different guest judge, which means you get uh, – it, it's, it's more of a look at who the judge is. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. I guess that could be interesting if the judge is interesting – then you're getting the content really is less about the battle and more about the judge giving you his or her take on yeah. why they chose which shoes they chose, which could be interesting for somebody who's, but the thing is the kids don't give a shit about the history. <laughs> so if you pull in, if you have a judge that's got a strong historical base and a knowledgeable person and they're telling you, Oh, well I like this shoe because of this and this history and da 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 da. And the kids don't care about that. Yeah, so that's the thing is that that's kind of that community that we fostered in the sneakers app where there it's it's a bunch of people that are that person that that have that historical knowledge that are is your demographic uh, older or is it a younger group? 
I mean, it depends on their activity, right? So there, I would say by user base, I mean, by the amount of people that, that utilize the app, it's, it's a younger crowd. I mean, under 40. Uh, but if you look at who's at the most active in the app, it's normally, you know, mid to late twenties to late thirties, um, is, is who wow. are the, the ones. I would think it would slant even younger than that, like 14 to 24. No, I mean, so, and we have statistics on, you know, which part of the application are they utilizing most. So there's things like a release calendar, there's a news section, there's a video section. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch in the app and not everybody uses all of it. Some people just use a part. Um, there are some people that just use the chat wall and it's just that for them. So, uh, you know, the demographics are different by what they're doing in it. Uh, you know, release calendar, that's something that I know the younger generation cares a lot more about. Uh, and so it, it's strange, but it's, it's an interesting type of uh, audience that we have. And your role is just a, a developer, back-end guy, marketing guy, like promotional. Yeah, yeah. So You're, I mean, you know, a, a face of it, kind of. Yeah, pretty much. So the, uh, the founder re prefers to remain anonymous um, in terms of, of – you know, he doesn't want to be out in public. He doesn't want his face out there. So, um, you know, that's kind of the role that I take for it. Interesting. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. I'd I'm definitely going to check it out. Matt, I appreciate maybe, maybe I'll get to get you to judge one, one of these times. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I'll see, I'll see what, what shoes you, you are into. I mean, I guess I would do it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll, you, we'll talk about it. Yeah, cool. We'll talk about it. I appreciate you hopping on. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, hope the kids are good. I hope the family's good. Everybody stays healthy. We, we still got a couple more months of this. So, yeah, um, man. Well, I appreciate you having me. I, I hope you guys are good. I hope your kids stay healthy. Yeah, no more injuries, right? Yeah, we'll, yeah. Have some, we'll, we'll have some fun with it. And, um, and and hang on here and and see what it is. I'll check out the sneakers app. That was an interesting thing there, and and uh, and we'll go. I gotta try the I gotta try the Italian beef because you're not you're not the only person who said that about Chicago. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give Chicago some love there. I'll, I'll I sure as shit hate that deep dish pizza. I will give you a list of where to go. Matt, I appreciate a couple minutes of your time. You're generous with it, and um, you know we'll do it again. All right, sounds good, man. I Thanks, bro. Have going. Yeah. I'd like to thank Matt Bain for running it down with me on this episode. And as always, I'd like to thank everyone who listens for the continued support. It's greatly appreciated. If you're new here, welcome aboard. Go check out some past episodes. I've had some really amazing and interesting people that were nice enough to share their time with me one-on-one. -on -one. Also, I love everyone's feedback on the social networks, the at mentions, DMs, stuff like that. Um, you can hit me on Twitter and Instagram at the Don Drew or shoot me an email, thedondrew at me.com. Um, thanks again, everyone. I really appreciate it. And please, if you have a second rate review and subscribe.